When I was growing up, the pastor at Highland Park, Dr. Robertson, his big thing that he preached on a lot was the second coming of Jesus. And uh, in some of his books that he wrote, he talked about how when he really uh, grasped the fact that Jesus is coming back, amen, and we're looking forward to that, and that really fueled his ministry. And I remember on Sunday night, um, Dr. Faulkner would lead, and we, we sang the song, Behold He Comes, Behold He Comes. And uh, the church, kind of a very wonderful singing experience, the church sang in four-part four harmony. Of course, we also had the university there that attended our church, Cincinnati Temple University. So the ladies would start out, Behold He Comes, and Behold He And there was this big thing, and every eye will see Him. And, and that was the big thing that we, we, we talked about a lot it was the coming of Christ and the rapture. Now, I was 9, 10, 11, 12, on up through high school through that, and learning about the rapture. And, and if, you, if you never heard that term, it's the idea that one day Jesus is coming back and we're going to be raptured, uh, taken out of this world. And I hope I get to experience that. We've been waiting for that. And so the idea is that one day the church will be taken up and uh, no longer on this earth. Well, when you're a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, that makes an impression on you. And I remember coming home one day after school, and nobody was there. And I started running through the house. Mom, Mom, where are you? Looking through the house. My sister wasn't there. My dad wasn't there. My mom wasn't there. I went on the street. I didn't see anybody. And guess what I thought? The rapture. I've been left behind. Okay? And it was a scary, scary feeling. When you've been, feel like you've been left behind. Have you ever experienced that? Just when people leave and you were left behind? Has anybody ever been left behind? Uh, you met some, uh, you know, I remember uh, one time a friend of mine at my last church, uh, he got home and he realized he'd forgotten his kid. Um, <laughs> so he called me and said, hey, uh, I said, yeah, I think your daughter's here. Uh, so, you know, it's just that feeling of when you're left behind and, and being abandoned. It, it, and, and I don't know if you've ever had that moment. And maybe some of you, not, maybe not something like that where you came home to an empty home when you expected people there. Maybe you had a spouse abandon you along the way. Or maybe you had a best friend abandon you. Somebody you thought you could count on and they just, they left. They were gone. And if you've experienced that, and I think we all have to some extent, you know what it's like, that sinking feeling. That feeling that nobody wants me. Nobody cares for me. That, that feeling of fear. What am I going to do? You know, this person that was in my life or this, this life that I had is gone. I feel like I'm abandoned. And that feeling that nobody cares. Ever had that feeling that you've been abandoned? Some of you have. All of us maybe at times have felt those moments of feeling abandoned. What's even worse or maybe as bad is when you feel like God's abandoned you. Ever had that one? Feel like your prayers just hit the ceiling and bounce back down or you're praying into the carpet? And you're wondering, does anybody care? Does God even care? You, you read your Bible in the morning and it just feels dry and lifeless and you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it. And, and you just, there was a time in your life when you felt like you sensed God's presence, but now you just don't even sense His presence and you feel abandoned by God. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you feel that way now. You know, today, as you can see, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper and uh, at the end of the service, just to remind you, we're going to take up a little offering as we leave. The ushers will be back there with baskets, and if you have a few dollars, we'll 
use that money for our benevolence fund and, and we always get requests for people for help and uh, recently we've, we've helped some church members with some struggles and, and we're a small church we have limited funds but we do what we can and if you have a few dollars afterwards leave that on the way out and so this morning on our fifth Sunday we're remembering the Lord's Supper and, and the Lord's Supper is, is a recounting of Jesus' crucifixion. I'm just going to throw up some passages here on the scripture. Just read them. We're not going to chase them yet in our Bible, but I just want to kind of rehash the story of the crucifixion. Luke 22, Jesus went out and made his way to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. This is right after the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And when he reached the place, he told them, pray so that you may not enter into temptation. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and began to pray. And Father, here's what he prayed. If you're willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus didn't want to go through this. He is fully God, but fully man. So he knew what was waiting on him more than anybody could know. And he didn't want to go through it as a human but at the end of the day, he prayed what we should all pray, not my will, but your be done. And then an angel came from heaven, strengthening him. And being in anguish, he prayed more fervently. And here's something that's really wild. His sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he got up from prayer, he came to his disciples. and He found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Matthew will jump over there and pick up the story. As you know, Jesus is arrested. He's taken to a kangaroo court. They put him on trial. And uh, they sentence him to death. And so Jesus is taken out and he's hung on a cross. And we'll just pick up Matthew's account. So Jesus is on the cross now, less than 24 hours later. And from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when one of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge with sour wine and fixed it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see if Elijah comes to save him. And Jesus shouted with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. John continues the story. I just want to pick up what John says. So Jesus passed away on the cross, gave up his spirit. John's account says, so that when it was preparation day and the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross for the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and their bodies, not be t their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man. The other man had been crucified with him. That just hastened the death process. But when they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs because they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and out... At once came blood and water came out. He who saw this so test, has testified so that you may believe. His testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth. John's writing. He's saying, I saw this. I was there. We know John was at the cross. For these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken. And another scripture says they will look at the one whom they have pierced. So those are the gospel accounts of the crucifixion. Jesus, as you saw, his blood separated from his water, water separated, his blood separated. Uh, I've tried to pronounce this word, hemotohydrosis. I can't ever say it. Laura, say it. 
Hematrohydrosis, there you go. See, I can't say it. That's why I'm not a medical doctor. It's a real medical condition when your blood literally separates from uh, into water. And it, it, there's some very rare cases of it reported in medical literature. And basically what happens is your sweat glands are surrounded by blood vessels. And they, the vessels can uh, constrict and then become uh, dilated to the point where they rupture. And then blood seeps into the sweat glands. And that's what happens. And it, it only happens under extreme, extreme uh, physical duress. And there's only a few cases outside of what we have with Jesus where it's ever been reported. And the question for us is this. What caused that extreme duress? What, what caused Jesus on the cross to have such duress that his blood literally, you had blood and water there. What caused that duress to be so much that his blood literally separated into water. Now, when I read the eyewitness accounts, we read what the, in the Gospels, we read what the eyewitnesses saw there and what they heard. But here's my question. What was going on in Jesus' mind? While he was hanging on the cross, what was going on in his head? What was going on in his heart? What was he thinking? Because the gospel accounts don't really tell. We just see it from the outside. We see him cry out. We see him pierce. We see the blood and the water come out. We see the external. But what was going on in Jesus' mind? What was going on in his heart? Well, turn, if you have your Bibles, to Psalm chapter 22. We've been going through Psalms. And Psalms are really interesting uh, because there are 25 different Psalms that include at least one messianic prophecy. So roughly one out of every six psalms has something to do with the coming Messiah. And in fact, the, they call those the messianic psalms because they have something to do with the coming Messiah. And the messianic psalms are quoted in 11 of the New Testament books, especially the book of Acts and the Gospels. And you have to remember that the psalms, what we have there, are written by different authors. But the main author is, of course, David. That's the one that we often associate with the Psalms. And you have to remember that when David wrote his Psalms, he was writing a thousand years before the crucifixion. So this is a thousand years, roughly a thousand years before what happens on the cross. And yet, a thousand years before what happens on the cross, David writes this Psalm that obviously is pointing to the Messiah. When you put this psalm next to what we just read in the New Testament, this is clearly telling us, prophesying what's happening on that cross. Now, I think this is another proof that the Scriptures are divinely inspired. How do you write something a thousand years earlier that is so vivid and accurate of what happens a thousand years later? I think it's another proof that Jesus is fulfilling Scripture there on the cross. I believe it's another proof that God's plan and purpose will happen. And so, right here in Psalm 22, even though this is a thousand years before the actual crucifixion, I think Psalm 22 gives us a glimpse of what is going on in Jesus' heart and mind as he's on the cross. So follow me this morning because if you're having those feelings of abandonment right now, maybe because of spouse or friends or family, maybe this will help you this morning. So Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus, on, here's this psalm written a thousand years before, but we just read this exact same phrase, my God, my God, why have 
you forsaken me. Those are the same words that Jesus says in Matthew 27, 46, a thousand years later were written right here in the Psalms. So again, this is where scholars and theologians will walk through the rest of it and say, this is clearly a prophetic Psalm. Now let me ask you, have you ever been ex- experienced betrayal or rejection by a friend? Anybody ever experienced that? Or a family member? Y'all doing that? Some of y'all nodding your heads there? Okay. Have you... It's really difficult when, it, if, if it's a friend, it's bad. When it's a family member, that's even worse, right? Because we always say blood is thicker than what? Water. And then when a family member betrays you, you think, oh man, I can't do that. Now, let me just, let me just give you a listing of betrayals. And you tell me on a scale to one to ten in your mind, ten being the worst, one being the least pain. Which one would cause the worst pain and what would call the least pain? Betrayal by an acquaintance. Maybe a one. Uh, okay, the least pain, a one? I'd say, yeah, okay, so my kind of met, don't really know them. Friends, two to three, just casual friends, two to three. Family members, ooh, probably six, seven. Family member betrays you, that's pretty rough. Your best friend, seven, eight. BFF, friends you hung out with. Your child, Nine, ten, that's way up there, right? Your spouse, nine, ten, right? The closer you are, the more painful it is, right? That's just the moral of the story. The more closer you are to a person, the more painful it is when that person abandons you, when that person rejects you. Notice Jesus doesn't say, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Notice what he says, my God, my God. Okay, Jesus is there on the cross and he's feeling maybe what you're feeling right now. He is feeling that sense of abandonment. He's feeling, he, he first felt the abandonment from his own people, the Jews. They didn't accept him. They didn't accept him. He, he felt his abandonment from the religious leaders, the people who should have known better, who should have realized he was the coming Messiah, and yet they didn't understand what was going on or they didn't want to understand. He had experienced abandonment by his general disciples because see there was a lot of people that followed Jesus that weren't part of the the 12 but there were other people that followed Jesus that hung out with him and he had experienced that abandonment John chapter 6 verse 66 tells us that many of his disciples no longer walked with him so he had experienced abandonment by by the religious community by his people in general by those people that would hang out for a while and follow him But here on the cross, he was experiencing abandonment by his own disciples, the 12, the apostles. Of course, Judas had betrayed him. And of course, he was dead at this point. The other 10 were gone. There was only one that was still there, and that was John. He experienced abandonment by his earthly family. The only person we know of his family that was actually at the cross was his mother. We don't read anywhere of his brothers or sisters being at the cross. And then, not only betrayed by his earthly family, he felt betrayed by the one he was closest to of all. The Father. My God. My God. I mean, it's hard for us to grasp this. And probably the closest is if you've been abandoned by a spouse or a very, very best friend. Jesus had this connection with the Father that we really can't understand because he and the Father were the same essence. They were one. Jesus, when he spoke, he spoke the words the Father gave to him. 
When, when Jesus did things, he did what the Father told him to do. He didn't do things on his own. He went exactly where the Father told him. He spoke the words that the Father told him. His thoughts were the thoughts of the Father. Again, him and the Father are extrinsically linked. They are the same in essence. Uh, again, Jesus displayed the power of God the Father when he healed diseases. He displayed the authority of God the Father when he forgave sins. He was, the Bible tells us, full of the Holy Spirit. He was completely just filled with God the Father. He was in communion with God the Father on a daily basis. He didn't say anything that wasn't of the Father. He didn't do anything that was of the Father. He was completely connected of the Father. And so here was Jesus. And the reason I believe he was sweating great drops of blood in that garden is he knew that the closest connection that he ever, ever anybody, anybody could ever feel was getting ready to be broken. And so on that cross, Jesus is hanging naked, exposed to the world, and everybody has abandoned him, including the Father. Can't look at him. There is no voice from heaven like there was in the past. There was no dove descending like there had been in the past. There were no angels here he hung, suspended between heaven and earth, feeling totally abandoned. And Jesus is saying, God, my Father, why, why are you so far from me? Why are you so far from my deliverance? Why are you, Father, so far? Why are you so far from my deliverance? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning. Again, this is something Jesus had never experienced. The Godhead had never experienced separation. It was the only time it ever happened and the only ever time it will happen. Jesus feeling abandoned. Look at verse 2. He says, my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. By night, and I have no rest. Now, again, you, you might, this might be David kind of referring to himself in one sense, but it really is clearly the portrayal of what's happening to Jesus. I mean, all that night he had been on trial there. He, he had been bounced around. He had gone before Caiaphas, the high priest, and that night they had mocked him. They had jammed a crown of thorns on his head, and there was no word from the Father. There were no angels. There was no voice, and Jesus was being mocked by people, and then as the day breaks, he's bounced around. He goes to Pilate. He goes to Herod and back to Pilate, and he's being bounced bounced around and, and the soldiers scourge him and they whip him and they beat him by there as the day breaks and there is no father no voice from heaven no dove anything and there's just this feeling of being totally abandoned he says i cry to you and you don't answer by night i have no rest no angel no voice no nothing and you if you've ever experienced those moments of abandonment you've probably experienced other emotions like bitterness or anger, or hopelessness. And remember, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man, fully human. We can't really explain that, but that's what he is. Now, how in the world, as a man, did Jesus keep from being bitter on the cross? How was Jesus able to pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? How was Jesus able to keep from being bitter towards God the Father? Why are you abandoning me in this moment? How did Jesus keep from lashing out in anger? Because he didn't. 
How did he keep from lashing out in anger from the cross? How did Jesus keep from sinking into hopelessness while he was on the cross? Well, here's how he did it. And I think, and I know, that how he did it provides us an example of how we have to do it when you and I feel that we've been abandoned by other people. And let me give you a few things. First of all, if you feel abandoned by other people, do what Jesus did. Recall who God is. Look at verse 3. Again, I, I believe David is giving us a prophetic glimpse of what's going on the cross. He says, I, 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 where are you, my deliverance? Where are you by day? Where are you by night? And then it, it hinges, there's this, this pivot, but you, notice it's capital Y because we're speaking of God the Father, you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. What kept Jesus from lashing out in anger? What kept Jesus from being bitter on the cross? What kept Jesus from sinking into hopelessness? I think as Jesus is hanging on that cross, feeling abandoned, he could take the road of bitterness, but he decides to take the road of betterness. And he says, okay, why have you forsaken me? But I know you're holy. I know you're set apart. I know you're enthroned on the praises of your people. And and then he begins to recall things. He says, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, verse 4, and and you rescued them. So again, he's he's recalling these things. And David repeats this same thing from a different angle. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. So let me tell you something. When you feel abandoned, recall who God is, but also recall what God has done. And maybe you feel those moments of abandonment, even from God right now. Maybe you just feel like your prayer life's stale and your prayers are hitting the ceiling. And, and you don't, just pivot. Don't grow bitter. You ask the question, that's fine. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But pivot and say, but here's what I know you are. I don't understand this right now, but I know you're holy. And I know you've delivered in the past. I'm going to recall what you've done in my life. Think about how God has shown up in your life. The times when he has been there for your life. It's always important to recall the past. And so Jesus is recalling, of course we see this through the pen of David, how God's delivered his people. He rescued them. He freed them. He didn't disgrace them. And so Jesus, hanging on the cross, naked and exposed, holds on to who God is and what God has Jesus did what God's people were called to do in the past. I'm going to trust in you. Again, Jesus is hanging on that cross. I think this is going through his mind. We know audibly what he said. I think this is going through his mind. He's holding on to who God is, what God's done. He looks down from the cross at the people below, and reality hits again. Look at verse five, verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by men, I am despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. And here's what they say. He relies on the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he takes pleasure in him. Now, Jesus there on that cross, I mean, he's naked. He feels less than a man. I mean, this is extremely humiliating. I just feel like a worm. I just want to crawl up, and, and, but I can't. I'm nailed to a cross. And I've been abandoned by everybody. And again, people were looking at Jesus, and they're shaking their heads and saying, hey, you know what? Let God rescue him if he really is of God. And there's no voice. 
No angel. Nothing. Again, how did Jesus keep from growing bitter as he's looking out on that crowd? Well, he not only recalled who God is, he not only recalled what God had done, but he also did what we need to do. He recalled God's relationship with him. And you and I have to recall God's relationship with us. Jesus, I believe as he's hanging there in his mind, goes back and he recalls his relationship with the Father. Look at verse 9 and 10. You took me from the womb, making me secure while at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Jesus, there hanging on the cross, had to remind himself, I was born to die. This is what I came for. And from the very beginning, from the time of conception, by God the Father, you've been with me. You've been at my side. You've been my God. I'm going to hang on to you. Now again, Jesus was a man. So in his own humanness, he keeps coming back to, there's those flashes in the midst of this. Because look, even when you and I are going through those moments where we feel abandoned, there's going to be those moments when, yes, I remember who God is, and I remember what God's done, and I remember my relationship with God. But there's going to be those moments when it flashes back. But I feel like a worm. I feel like less than a person. I feel like people are mocking me. In fact, they are mocking me. And, and there's those flashbacks. And so Jesus calls out in verse, 20, verse 11, don't be far from me because distress is near and there's nobody to help help God please don't abandon me please don't abandon me and the reality is many bulls surround me the strong ones of Bashan encircle me this is just Jesus see I mean he, he not only sees the people he sees the demonic forces are out in full force I mean Satan and hell are just unleashed on a spiritual side we can't really fathom this but hell is wide open and Satan is unleashing his hordes. And he says, they open up their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have put me into the dust of the earth. There's kind of this... Like, God, okay, but here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm going through. This is painful. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They've pierced again. You have to understand this psalm was written before crucifixion was even a method of execution. Another point that this is clearly prophetic. They pierced my hands and my feet. Because when David wrote this, people were not crucified. That's not how, because the Romans weren't even a, an empire yet. I can count all my bones. People look and they stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves. They cast my lots for clothing. Look at this. Jesus, as he's hanging there, and again, I, I think David is giving us a glimpse of what's going through the mind of Christ because he didn't say much on the cross. But I think we're seeing inside the mind and the heart of Christ of all that's going on and all that he's feeling. Emotionally, Jesus is, he's saying, my heart's like wax and it's melting within me and people look at me and they stare at me and he's in pain physically. He says, my strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. I can count all my bones. He's in pain spiritually. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Now again, 
Is Jesus going to grow bitter? Because he's being abandoned. Is he going to lash out in pain? Towards the people, towards his disciples, towards his family members, towards God the Father? And again, Jesus in this moment of abandonment being suspended between heaven and earth and everybody abandoning him, including the Father, Jesus does what you and I have to do when we're going through those moments of pain, and that is this. Here's another one. Reach out to God. He doesn't give up on his Father. Look at verse 19. But you, O Lord, don't be far from me. My strength, come quickly to help me. Look at, look at all the things he's calling for God to do, the actions. Help me, deliver me from the sword. My, my only life from the power of these dogs, save me from the mouth of the lion. Again, now just remember, you, you and I know how the story ends. Jesus dies on the cross. So God doesn't always deliver on our time and in our way. And we knew that God had to allow Christ to die on the cross so that we could receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus had to be that sacrifice on the cross. Okay, but here's the thing. It still doesn't stop him from reaching out. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to die, but he still reached out, and you and I have to do it. We don't know the future like Jesus did. We don't know exactly how things are going to happen, but in your moment of abandonment, reach out to God. Call on him. Ask Now, his timing is not your timing. He may let you be in that moment for longer because there's a bigger thing on the other side. You may not see it, you know, the people at the cross, they didn't see this. They didn't, they didn't, well, where's God? They're mocking him. They didn't see that this had to happen. We see it. So we have a 30,000 view foot of the crucifixion. God has a 30,000 foot of your life. And so you may be at this point feeling abandoned, but don't grow bitter. Recall what God has done. Recall who God is, it, is. Reach out to him. He might let you travel through that period for a little longer before he delivers you and saves you because there's something that has to happen in that period. Maybe you're not done growing yet in your faith. Maybe you just haven't come to the point of maturity where you need to be. I don't know. But again, Jesus cycles back around and does what we have to keep doing. He calls out, he reaches out, and then he recalls again what God has done. He keeps coming back. I'm just going to keep remembering what you've done. Look real quickly at verse 19 through 21. You've rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Okay. I'm going to recall what you've done. Now, keep remembering what God's done in the past. Now, the Lord's Supper is a looking back to Christ's death on the cross. The bread represents his body broken for us. The juice represents his blood shed on that cross. The Lord's Supper is a looking back to the cross. But at the same time, it's a looking forward to the resurrection. And so when you're going through those moments of abandonment, it's not only important to recall who God is, recall what God has done, and reach out to Him, but it's also important that you and I look ahead. Look beyond that moment, because you and I know that life has seasons. And Jesus looks beyond. Look at verse 19. He says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. I will praise you in the congregation. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or detested the torment of the afflicted. He has not hid his face from him. But listen when we cry to him for help. So he continues to recall the past. And, and, he, and then he continues to look forward to what God is going to do. He says this, I will give 
praise in the congregation because of you. I'm not going to stop praising you, Father. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. I, again, I'm not, I'm not going to give up. He says, here's what I know will happen. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord may praise him. May your hearts live forever. The Lord's table here can only be, and let me just say this, this is not a Warren Baptist thing, this is not a Baptist thing, this is a Christian thing. If you are not a member of Warren, you're certainly welcome to participate, but the Lord's Supper is reserved only for those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ alone. It's only reserved for those who have humbled themselves. He says the humble will eat and be satisfied. As Jesus looks to the future, he's, the reality is only those who will humble themselves before God respond to Christ's ultimate death on the cross will eat and be satisfied. Here we are 2,000 years later. We're looking back to the death of Christ and recalling, but we're also looking forward. And I want to challenge you to recall what God will do. Because the Psalms not only have passages that speak of the crucifixion of Christ and his life on earth, but the Psalms also have a lot of passages that speak of the second coming of the Messiah. And the Lord's Supper is also a reminder because Jesus said, I won't participate with you again in this until I take it anew with you in my kingdom. When we take this, we're looking forward to the day when we are going to be with Christ partaking and eating together. The marriage supper of the Lamb, if you've never heard of it. We're looking forward to that. So while we take this, we remember his death, we remember his blood shed for us, but we also look forward to the day when we're going to eat this anew with him in the kingdom. And again, here in this passage, and I believe this is going on in the cross, as Jesus is there, he's in great pain, he's, he's feeling totally abandoned, he recalls who God is, he keeps recalling what God has done, he is reaching out to Father, but he also keeps remembering what God's going to do on the other side of this cross. Look at this. All the earths will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down to you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. All who prosper on the earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and tell the people yet to be born about his righteousness and what he has done. The writer of Hebrews said that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. I believe there on the cross, Jesus looked forward to Knowing that he had to die, this is what he came for. And even though he felt totally abandoned by the Father, and was, because the Father couldn't look on sin. He didn't grow bitter. He didn't grow angry. He didn't lash out. He just kept recalling who God was, recalling what God had done. He kept reaching out, but he also recalled what God's going to do. Because he knew what was going to happen on the other side of that cross. The nations would come. People would be, you're sitting here today. If you're a follower of Jesus, because of what happened on that cross. So you may be here this morning struggling with feelings of abandonment. Feeling alone, feeling bitter. 
because of a spouse, because of a child, because of friends, coworkers, whatever. I'm going to challenge you. And maybe right now you feel like your relationship with God's got some stuff. First of all, recall who God is. He is a holy God. So if there is sin in your life, then you repent and turn from that because that's the starting point. If you've never responded to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to repent of your sin and ask him to save your soul. And I ask humbly that if you've never done that and you do not know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ is your Savior, I ask humbly that you just let the elements pass by this morning. But if you're struggling with those moments of feeling and abandonment, recall who God is, recall what he's done. Think back of all the times where God has worked in your life. And you'll probably see there were seasons when you felt abandoned by God. And yet you look back now and you see how God wove through those events to teach you and to grow you in your faith and in wisdom. Recall what he's done. Keep reaching out to him. But also keep looking forward to the future. Remember, folks, this is all temporary. This world's all temporary. This life's temporary. These things are temporary. Remember the future. Keep looking forward. There will be a day when we won't be on this planet and God up there, we will be in His presence. There will be a day when we'll be taking and eating with the Father and the Son at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be that day. Keep looking forward to that. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we get ready to participate in the Lord's table that first of all if there is someone here this morning or watching even by Facebook who doesn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have eternal life through Jesus Christ that right now they'll bow their knee repent of sin and ask you to save them. Father, for those who know Christ, but maybe feel abandoned, that they'll dwell on who you are, what you've done, they'll keep reaching out to you, and they'll look forward to the future. And so, Father, I pray that they'll just leave that on the altar right now and not walk out of here carrying those burdens on their backs, but just give it to you and leave it there. Father, as we enter into this very important time, may we never forget the incredible price that was paid on that cross for our sins. And that Jesus paid it all. All to Him we owe. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen.